Hi, welcome to Stitchcraft Podcast. This is a very special edition. It's our first guest interview. Woo! Woo! That's a party on a Wednesday. Woo! <laughs> is it Wednesday? It's definitely Wednesday. Um, yes. It's a, our first guest interview, and it's with Michelle Johnson, someone we love, and she's got a really great creativity practice in what she's going to talk about in this interview. Yeah, so um, Michelle is somebody that I've known since high school, um, but she maintained a relationship uh, with my my husband after they graduated from high school. Like they stayed friends, um, and around Christmas last year we met up, and I hadn't seen Michelle in mm, well, my next my twentieth reunion is this year, so it's been nineteen years. And, <laughs> um, I was just so impressed by her in general, but the reason that we invited her on the podcast was to talk about um, creativity and how she has decided to bring it into her regular daily life as opposed to saving it for special times, special moments. And we thought that would be really interesting for people listening to the podcast to kind of hear somebody's perspective about how they do that. Um, So... Without further ado, here is Michelle Johnson. So we have our very first guest for the podcast ever. This woohoo! Is, woohoo! Um, and rather than introducing her, I will let her introduce herself to say who you are and how we know each other and what you what you work on creatively cool hi uh my name is michelle johnson and gosh we know each other because you married somebody that i went to elementary school with mm-hmm. and up all the way through and we also had latin you and i also had latin class together true. in high school and band probably yes at the some first point you're probably yeah before i yeah before I quit and went into choir and then quit that and then didn't do music anymore. Oh, I didn't know you were in choir. Very briefly. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then creatively, everything. Just, uh, gosh. Uh, knitting, martial arts, marching band, flower arranging, gardening, raising children, <laughs> decorating my house. Uh, lots of stuff. And that's part of the reason that um, I, my sister and I were so excited about having you on the podcast is that um, unlike me, where my creative endeavors are pretty focused in the sense, like I don't, um, I suppose that science is a creative endeavor, but that's also my full-time job. And a lot of that ends up being administrative and not particularly creative. Um, yeah. My creative efforts are pretty focused on knitting a little bit on crochet and then there's really not much else that I have the skills to do at this time. Like I don't sew, I don't really even know how to, I have to ask my mom every time I want to set up a sewing machine. Like there's just a lot of other creative endeavors that I don't um, either don't engage in regularly or never have done. Um, And you're sort of like 
the polymath of creative endeavors. Like you sort oh. of, as best I can tell, every time I've asked you like, oh, have you ever tried this? Or have you heard of this? You're like, oh yeah. And that's something I, I actually can do. Um, so I think um, you and my sister are a little more alike in that way that you are both people who I think are, who have spent more of their time working on their creativity and um, mm-hmm. have a broader range of creative skills than perhaps the average person. Hmm. Uh, thank you. I love the word <laughs> polymath. Um, and I love, I just love to hear it applied to me. You, when you talked about me, I think it was in episode seven, I was listening and I was like, oh, that person they're talking about sounds very interesting. <laughs> and it's funny. And it, it was me. Uh, it, it's funny because I have always felt really creative, but I haven't felt like it made me any different from anybody else. Like it's something that just comes, it just comes out of me. And, uh, to me, it's sort of like just doing the dishes or walking down the street or also making origami or doing a window display at my old job. Um, it's just kind of a natural expression of who I am. And I'm curious about a lot of things. And I always thought the fact that I could never find one thing to stick to or like find my thing, if you know what I mean, uh, was a weakness. And so I always sort of felt like, ugh, I try all these things. I'm a sampler. I do a bunch of this stuff, but I like, I just, I wish I could just find my thing and do it. And so I've kept, for a long time, I kept trying to find my thing. And recently, um, this is when you and I reconnected, I started my project where I just, just kind of like, just kind of gave up. I'm like, you know what? I just need to do something, something creative every day and post it on my Instagram. Um, and it, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, and the only rule was that it had to be satisfying. It didn't have to be, it didn't have to be pretty or good or even intentional, it just had to be satisfying. And by doing that, gosh, a lot, a lot of stuff happened. This was almost six months ago at this point. And it, it just led me on a journey that I completely didn't expect it to lead me on. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, now that I'm thinking back on it, I, when you first told me about your, your daily creativity practice, that was when I told my sister about that. And that was when we were both like, oh, we definitely have to have her on the podcast if she's willing to do it. Because um, I think you you had talked about um, something that I think a lot of people struggle with, which is uh, not finding your thing, not knowing Mm -hmm. what your your one thing is. And Mm -hmm. if you don't have one thing, then somehow, like you say, you're unfocused. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's a definitely a dirty word or a dirty um, concept in the United States. We are very focused people. Our culture is one where you should not be a jack of all trades and a master of none. That's a negative thing. Right. Um, So that's one struggle that I think a lot of people have. And then the other struggle is finding a way to do that in a life that is full of other things that matter to you. And, um, still trying to carve out some time to do that satisfying creative thing. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of how you came to that idea for yourself. Like if you tried other things 
and they didn't work out or if this was like your first idea that you had about how to bring creativity into your life more regularly? Yeah. Um, I, I've tried so many things and I think, I think my mistake for a long time was trying to make it into a career Mm. or trying to make it be my job. Um, so when I had my first kid, I still worked, um, in a bookbinding business with another woman and it was more, she had been running the business before I joined and I did more kind of the administrative thing and the client relations. And it was a creative business, which I liked, which my work has always been, uh, since my, my first terrible job out of college, which was not creative. And when I realized like, Oh, I, I am, I am not happy sitting at a desk doing not creative work. So ever since then it's been creative things, but I didn't have the time in my life to devote to the bookbinding business once my daughter was born. So I knew that I had to, um, I knew that I had to pull away from that. And since then I've, I had been trying to find my own thing. I'm like, maybe, maybe it still is bookbinding. And then for a while I was like, oh, it's pattern design. It's designing patterns for textiles. This is going to be the thing. And it's funny. As soon as I declared that it was my thing, I would lose interest. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to keep it a secret and get the software and get some books and learn how to do it and then declare it to my husband or to my friends or to the world. And then as soon as I did it, I was like, oh, no, that's not the thing. (laughs) That's not my thing. This is boring to me now. And and then it was like going back down that spiral like, oh, no, I'm I'm back where I started. This wasn't so like trying to attach, like trying to do it to make money which I, I mean, of course you can do creative things to make money, mm-hmm. but I, I grew up, I, I grew up in Ann Arbor in the Midwest where you do work to make money. Like I feel like I had these very, these, I was, these values were driven into me. Like you find a job to make money. Yep. It's not about having a satisfying creative life or anything, or it wasn't for me growing up. Um, so what happened amidst all of this confusion is I went to my 20th high school reunion, which I was so happy to go to. I just love the people in my class. And so many of them would say to me like, Oh, you're doing such creative things. And when I was 12, you made me this book and I still have it. And like you, like, like they remembered these things about my, that I had forgotten Mm -hmm. because I'm so entrenched in the daily life of being a mom of very little kids Um, and, and just like hearing all of that sort of, it it just lit a spark in me and I was like, oh yeah, I, I guess I am really creative compared to somebody who does work as a physical therapist or has an office job. Um, not that those people aren't creative. They are, everybody is, uh, which is something that I've discovered. Um, but starting the project, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to focus on what the thing is. I'm just going to do something and I'm going to do it every day. And of course, there was that voice that was like, I should probably come up with a name for it and open a new Instagram account that's just <laughs> dedicated to my creativity practice. And I should probably uh, start a new website for it and do this and do that. It's like trying to get everything perfect before mm-hmm. you even start and trying to like wait for the perfect time to start. And I heard that voice. I'm like, I, I've heard that voice in my head before the perfectionist voice. And I was like, like, no, no, like a million no's. I was like, no, I'm just going to do it. 
right now. Like I'm going to do it on the Instagram account. I already have that also has pictures of my cat and like my latte that I drank five years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to do something and post it. And so, uh, so I did and I started doing it every day and I, I think I did it solidly for maybe like 30 or 50 days. And then at some point, um, kind of realized this is kind of getting a little bit ahead of myself, but realized that sharing it with people was good for a while. But then at a certain point, I realized that I needed to keep some things for myself. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, yeah, did that answer your question? It did. It <laughs> did. And I think, you know, it's really funny to hear you talk about how um, we all, I think whenever we think about doing something new and declaring it to the world, we think about how it needs to be mostly done by the time we announce it. It has yeah. to be it has to be in its fully formed shape. Otherwise, um, people will think that we're um, half-assing it or unprofessional or we don't know what we're doing. Um, and I remember distinctly, I cannot remember exactly which classroom I heard this in, but it was in college somewhere where I was I was really struggling to to get some project done or some assignment. And the professor told me, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Yeah. You are you're spending so much time and effort trying to perfect something that you're never actually doing any of it. Mm-hmm. And um and the other thing that I that I came across was during my psychiatry residency training, actually, um, we have to work a lot on uh, doing cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety disorders. And there's a lot of perfectionism mm. in anxiety disorders. Mm-hmm. And so um, what we talk about in those therapies is that you feel the fear and you do it anyway. You don't, yep. don't fail to acknowledge the fear. You don't pretend like it's not there. You just decide that it is there. It is real. It is valid. Like it's a part of your brain trying to, explain something to you and simultaneously you're going to do that thing anyway mm-hmm. even though it is you know it is something that that scares you because it's important enough to you to do that um and that's kind of how our podcast got started was you know i i had my own perfectionistic weirdness when i thought about it i was like oh i want to do this podcast but also what if my audio equipment isn't very good? And what if my web design is a disaster, which it still is. And it turns out it doesn't actually matter. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, it, it took a lot for me to just tell myself that I was going to do it anyhow. Mm -hmm. And in the end, if, if it was really terrible, then I still learned something. I still learned something about myself. I still got myself to do something that I was scared of. And that that's valuable regardless of, yeah. of any of the other outcomes. Um, so you had mentioned that um, during, the, during the course of um, doing this creativity practice that you had learned some things either about yourself or about the creativity of others. And I was wondering if you could speak to some of the things that you felt like you that were unexpected things that you learned during that time? Yeah, boy, the biggest thing is that it quickly turned into a spiritual practice, Hmm. which I was not expecting 
Um, really I, interesting. I just wanted to make some art. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to make some pretty things. Um, but what happened as, as I was making things is I started to be able to, first of all, hear the voices in my head mm-hmm. um, and hear what they were saying. And a lot of times those voices are fear. Those voices are perfectionism. Those voices are like, like, I remember one of my early things was like, I just want to put, I just want to put stickers all over my face. <laughs> and so I got my son's sticker book and I started putting stickers on my face. And I was like, this is stupid. This is awful. People are going to think this is terrible as I put the stickers. But then as I started doing it, I was like, this looks really cool. I kind of love this. Like, this is wonderful. This feels great. This is weird. But like, this is weird, right? This isn't something that people normally do mm-hmm. day to day. Um, but I was like, you know what though, this is my thing. If I spend all this time putting all these stickers on my face and I don't post it, then like I've made my skin really dry for no reason. (laughs) And like, I have to think of another project to do today. And I don't want to have to do that because raising little kids, sometimes I only have like five minutes to do this. Um, so I did it and I posted it. And kind of the cool thing that happened with that one is I sent it to a good friend of mine who's who she and I are each other's personal cheerleaders. Like we just love each other and believe in each other more than like, she believes in me more than I believe in myself. And I believe in her more than she believes in herself. And that's a wonderful friend to have. I sent it to her and then she immediately sent me back. She's a designer, a picture of Stefan Seigmeister who had done this, like the same thing, put stickers all over his face. He's like, he's, he's one of the top design names in the industry. Um, Pat knows who he is, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, oh, you know, it was just, it was a nice validation to see that I wasn't like other people think of these things and they're weird things. Um, But going on with uh, the spiritual side of things is I started to be able to tell which voice in my head was the fear voice and which is the ego voice, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The the self-protection all of that kind of stuff. And which voice in my head was the soul voice, sort of like the divinely inspired voice. And as I would get into those moments of like, this is weird, this is stupid. I don't know what to do. What am I even doing? When am I going to find my thing? That voice, I would check in with it. And all it would say was keep going, Mm -hmm. just keep going. Um, And it still says that. And I've been through some some roller coasters of, you know, like you, I, I post these things and then people start liking them mm-hmm. on my Instagram account. And I'm like, Oh, well maybe I should post more stuff like that because more people will like that. Uh, and, and, and that, that's great, but that's also doing it for them. Right. Not for me at that point. And it's also doing that so I can feel validated and feel good about myself. Um, so I can do that for a little bit. And then I post something really stupid and like, maybe I, I lose some followers and I start feeling bad about myself. So like, it's this whole like roller coaster of ego going up and down, but at the same time, allowing that to happen and, and, and knowing that that's just, that's just fear and, um, sort of like overconfidence or cockiness Mm -hmm. coming up and down, uh, that's just going to happen no matter what it's that keep going voice that keep going deeper, keep finding like what really makes you happy. Um, that's, that's the voice I want to keep listening to and want to keep hearing. Um, and as I kept doing my practice 
those that that voice became louder and clearer and also started um this is weird but I started being able to like feel it in my body like when something once I was doing something that felt really um creatively compelling or felt like it came from a place deep inside of me like you know you get tingles you get goosebumps just like when you're seeing a movie that's really great or you get that like feeling of love that you get when you when you're with somebody who's really special, who just gives you that like kind of buzz. Mm -hmm. Um, so I felt that through just doing creative exploration also. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's, it's really, really interesting because I think, um, we, as social animals, we do look to people to, to reflect our ideas off of. And like you're talking about with this friend of yours, where, she's your cheerleader, like that's a good social interaction where you are, you know, going to her with a question or a thought and she is able to be that sort of ego surround for you. That's Mm. like, yes, you've got this. Yes, you can do this. I know you can. And that's, that's the good side of that social animal behavior. But like you say, some of the negative sides are where you sort of find yourself so ready to do something for somebody else's approval because it feels good. It feels good to have somebody approve of you. It feels good for somebody to like the things that you've done or to want to spend time with you. And you do have to, like you say, find, find your way, however it is going to be for you, but find your way of recognizing that those ebbs and flows are kind of independent of you. You know, like you could do a really great thing or a kind of mediocre thing and how other people respond to that may have nothing to do with you at all. Right. Yeah. That reminds me of, um, if I may interrupt, that reminds me of something. I don't know if it's part of the 12 steps or, or what it is, but, um, my husband, my husband's cousin told me this, uh, phrase, what other people think of me is none of my business. (laughs) Isn't this just wonderful? (laughs) But that's not how we think normally. (laughs) No. And I think that we do often do this sort of fundamental attribution error where we, we think that because a person likes something that we've done, it's because it's about us. When it may be that really they like what we've done because it tells them something about themselves that they like, or it reminds them of something that happened 20 years ago that makes them happy. And it's really not about us at all. Yeah. Um, And so following too closely what, what other people think of you can be a good recipe to be led astray from the things that got you to the point where you could, um, you know, interact in a positive creative community with other people. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing that you have to be mindful of and it's very easy to kind of like fall off that, that sweet spot of reaching out to others because social communication is, is good for us and seeking it so much that it takes you away from the thing that got you to the point that you had something good to socialize with somebody. Right. Yeah. Yeah, what you said reminds me of um, uh, something I read in the book that I'm reading right now last night, where it was something about love. Because ultimately, 
we're all looking for love. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I believe. Uh, I would agree. And um, it said people, people can love you for what you do or they can love what you do, but it's not the same as loving who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we, when we seek an audience and when we seek approval of other people, or if we want to put something out into the world that other people might like, like, that's great that they love what you do, but it doesn't mean that they, that they know who you are or love who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think through, gosh, like through any project or any, any practice. Um, Cause I think I, what I've come to realize is that creativity itself can just be a practice uh, a mindfulness practice, just like yoga or martial arts or going to church or going to temple or whatever it is. It's a practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a meditation. Um, having, having people who know you and love you no matter what for, for who you are within that practice is, is, gosh, I think such a valuable thing. Cause there are people that you can always go back to like, because I, through this process, have felt really, 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 really bad about myself <laughs> in some pieces. Sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and it, it usually comes right after I felt really, really, really good about myself. <laughs> it's that self-doubt that just, like, pops out. It's like, yeah. no, that's, you know, you can't be that excited about it. You're too excited. Right, right. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, so, so just, like, mm-hmm. having those allies, I think, is really is really a wonderful piece of it. But knowing who's, who's, who are those actual allies versus who are just people who, uh, who are more connecting with the work for themselves mm-hmm. and want to get something for themselves out of it mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Yeah, you said something that I thought was really interesting that my sister and I have talked about a number of times in the podcast, which is the importance of ritual um, yeah. and the importance of not necessarily like um, – that any specific, like I would never prescribe some specific ritual to another person. They have to, people have to find out on their own what feels right to them and what brings them, like you say, fulfillment and a sense of, of being compelled to do something that they love. And I'm curious, um, when you did your creativity practice, which you, I know you still do, but you, um, haven't necessarily been posting it every single day on Instagram, but when you were doing that part, um, did you find that it really mattered if you did it at the same time every day or was there some ritual aspect to it or was it just like catch as catch can because that's the life I live? (laughs) (laughs) Um, First of all, it's really wise of you to know that you shouldn't prescribe a ritual to another person um, because I, I like teaching people things and I like, I, I tend to be a bit of a know-it-all and I want to say like, you should do this and like have the, I like having the answers for other people, but that's, people don't like that. <laughs> like I, all I, all I can say is, is what works for me. So, so good for you for knowing that. Um, uh, it's a daily struggle. I'm just going to throw that out there. Daily struggle. Because yes. I'm a psychiatrist, right? So like people come yeah. to me expecting that I have something to prescribe to them, that I have some answer that they don't have. And occasionally I, ha- I have ideas that they haven't had, but okay. I don't necessarily have answers. I can, anyway, so it is, that's my personal daily struggle is how do I 
Yeah. How do I not prescribe something to somebody as if it's an answer when really it's almost always an idea? Anyway, but you were saying. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's because you have experience, you have knowledge, you have mm-hmm. things that you know, and you can just, it's, it's just showing somebody a, a way and helping them mm-hmm. down their own path, I think, yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Um, for the creativity practice, I, it's weird because it was, it was a ritual, but it was never at the same time every day. But it, of course, like if by the end of the day I hadn't done something, then yeah, it was at the end of the day when I'm like, Oh shit, I gotta go to bed. I need to do something and post it. Um, cause for a while I didn't trust myself enough. Um, I was like, if I stop doing this, I'm, if I, if I stop doing my daily creativity practice and posting it, I'm never going to pick it up again. I'll never do it again. I'll lose it. You know, like that kind of a thing. Um, and that's not where I am anymore, but for a while it really felt like that. So I, I felt like I had to do something by the end of the day, but, um, it was really more of an intuitive feeling. Like, it's funny when I think of it in my body, I think of it as being like really low in my center in my Dantian, which is this spot like below your belly button. They talk about it a lot in martial arts and Tai Chi and sort of like it's it's your center. It's your center of movement. Like if you're stepping, that's if you allow yourself to move from that center, um, you can generate a lot of power and a lot of energy. And I would kind of it's funny because looking back, I didn't know I was doing this at the time. I would kind of wait for a little spark, like a little feeling like, oh, this will be my thing today mm-hmm. or or this will be my thing today. And I would just, just hear it and, and let it happen and let it formulate. And then if I got a moment where the kids were sitting and watching TV and I could work on it a little bit, I would go work on it. Or if it was just maybe like a little arrangement that I made in my house and I was like, Oh, I want to share this today. I would just take the picture then and put it on. So it really wasn't a ritual. Um, as far as time or place, but it was more like a, a ritual of like, I'm, I'm feeling the spirit of this project today. I will do this. Mm-hmm. Except for when it was the last minute. Oh, should I have to do this right now right. <laughs> before I go to bed? And some of those were cool. And some of those were real bad. Right. <laughs> and it is kind of interesting. I think to free yourself to do something that you think isn't very good. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's so good. I, I completely sing the praises of making bad art. It's so good. It's so good not to worry about that stuff. Um, Cause I found as soon as I was starting to make something and like make it good and make it perfect, the, the voices, like the good flowy voices in my head would stop. Mm-hmm. It would silence all of that. And I would start thinking about what other people were going to think of it mm-hmm. instead of enjoying it, instead of having fun. Cause really I, I do it to have fun. Mm-hmm. Making stuff is fun. Yeah. I mean, I, that's certainly why I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is, it is really funny, um, how, how similar, um, it is to some of the stuff that I do. So in science, we don't really spend a lot of time talking about creativity, although I think we should. Um, and I think that yeah. good scientists do, yeah. um, they, they allow themselves to think that way, but I've definitely had some times where I, um, in an effort to only write something that's good, I didn't write down all the stuff that wasn't very good. And I've now just gotten mm. to the point where like, if I have a thought, if I have an idea for an experiment, I write it down. I don't necessarily have to do it. 
I don't have to like follow through on my terrible idea, but I do have to allow myself to have had that idea because I got there somehow. Mm -hmm. And even if the final product wasn't totally what I wanted it to be, that process might've been good. Or that same process might lead me to something that I do really like. And if I, if I shut it all down because I'm embarrassed about it or um, I didn't express it very well, then I am uh, potentially closing off something that um, I have not, I haven't given it the opportunity to get good yet. Yeah. A lot of our ideas start off sort of half baked and you have to work them through and talk about them with other people and read some books and you know, go do something totally random, like, you know, go to a museum or Mm. do something, just something completely unrelated and then come back to it and be like, oh, well, the first half, that's pretty cool. Second Mm half, I'm just going to let that part go and then I'm going (laughs) to pick up again and try again. But yeah, it is a very, um, it's very, it's very interesting how the older I get, the more willing I am to seem like I don't know the answer or seem like I um, am not sure what to do next. Yeah. I've been always trying to make it look like I know what I'm doing. Right. And I think that's, I think what you're saying is the brilliance of middle age. Yeah. <laughs> I, like I really do because I truly believe that those ideas that you have that sound weird or sound stupid um, or are so, just like, seem like bad ideas or seem really out there like that the place where like the way that those ideas come through you that's inspiration Mm -hmm. you know and it it's it's weird and it's wild but that's only because somebody hasn't necessarily done it before and that's how brilliance happens that's how genius happens is finding something that people haven't done before even if it sounds completely weird um and I think that whether like whatever your practice is, whether it's science or whether it's art or I, I was just at, um, I took a trip to New York and I was just at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and I spent some time in the um, Impressionist wing, which before I would have been like, ah, people love Impressionists, you know, but I, <laughs> I spent, I'm like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, avoid this. Um, I spent some time just looking at Van Gogh and when you look at it, it's just a mess. It's just a mess of paint that he just splattered everywhere and it's full of mistakes and it's full of weirdness, but it's so full of life and it's so full of beauty that I just, I like, I, you stand there and you can like feel energy coming off of that painting because he's doing something weird. Mm-hmm. You know, he's doing something that wasn't accepted or understood in his lifetime. Yeah. Um, but now we look back and we're like, this is, this is genius. And I think those ideas that come to you, Island, I, they're, they're little pieces of genius. And when you let them flow through you and you let them come through you, they build something, something, I mean, greater than even yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that is kind of the idea is that when you, when you do creative work, I think the idea is at least for me that I am potentially in the act of leaving the world better than I found it. And maybe not for everybody, maybe not all people, you know, maybe just one person, maybe literally one Mm -hmm. human being is ever going to have a positive thing happen to them because I did this thing. But that's enough. It's enough if one person feels like they were understood or one person feels like 
they weren't alone or one person feels like um, there's one other, you know, kooky person out there who thought that these two colors belong together in this pattern, whatever it might be. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah. there was another thing that I wanted to ask you, I was sort of thinking about this as you were saying that you had kind of in the course of this practice shifted away from your original plan of the practice that it was originally mm. going to be like post every single day. And mm-hmm. then it was shifting towards, well, this doesn't need, not every single thing needs to be shared and some things need to be for me. And, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if you are sensing any further shifts or if this has gotten you excited about a different type of creativity practice, like, um, is there something that it's shifting into? Yeah. Yeah. This, um, uh, it, it's the whole thing is it's the path of my life. <laughs> so, so really this project started when I was born. Um, <laughs> but, um, it's, I think it's, it's funny. It's only been like six months, but I've been through such like highs and lows and ups and downs. It's, it's really self-work. It's meditation. It's finding out who I am and what I feel like I have to offer the world. And it's taken me on spiritual highs and spiritual lows and uncovered new ways of seeing the world for me, which is really exciting. Um, but when you, uh, when you try to grow for the sake of growing, it's, it can be a bit of a trap um, because you're, 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 that's what makes me feel really good about myself. Like, Oh, I want to grow. I want to get better. I want to get better. More people will like me. People will finally start listening to me kind of a thing. Right. Um, so, so I got to this place where I was really feeling like really good about myself and then had that crash. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm in over my head. I'm not ready for, people to look at all of this stuff and kind of had to just take a break for a while and go silent and go into myself. And that's kind of when I realized that I, I, I was ready for a practice outside of my own practice. Mm -hmm. I was ready kind of for a teacher, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting a new Tai Chi practice. I did martial arts for a long time and it got to the point where it was, I did a really hard style where it just hurt. Mm -hmm. I, I was getting hurt. Um, so I couldn't do it anymore, but I realized having a physical practice is really important to me. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's kind of led me down this path of realizing that I, I'm ready to have a teacher again and I'm ready to do a physical practice. Mm-hmm. One where I'm not getting punched in the face all the time, <laughs> but more of a healthy, holistic practice. Um, and also I want to write a book, <laughs> Which and I'm I think, super excited about. I love that idea. Uh, it, it scares the bejesus out of me, the idea <laughs> of it, right? But it's still so cool. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and I've wanted to write a book my whole life. And it's funny, but like a piece of it is I want to go on a book tour. Like I want to go to New York and San Francisco and LA and here in Portland and well, Ann Arbor. to come to Iowa and, because Iowa and is Iowa. the world UNESCO city of literature in the United States. So... Yeah, I I will be there. I hope so. Um, I I know I know about Iowa. <laughs> Anybody who studied writing know knows about Iowa. Um, but 
Yeah. So I feel like I've, I found my book through doing this practice. I found my book and I've been wanting to write a book, but not knowing what I wanted to write about my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, but through doing this practice, I sort of found, it's not that I want to write a book. It's that I also want to draw a book. Like I want it to be heavily illustrated and for it to be mine. And I haven't necessarily seen a book that, um, looks like how I want mine to feel, Mm -hmm. which is light and fun, but also deep and, and really rich and full and colorful. Um, so, so I think it, the practice is sort of leading me into what I really want to put out into the world, which is a book. That's awesome. And then maybe some more after that, but I got to not get ahead of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. They take it, Mm -hmm. take a piece at a time. Um, right. Well, so I think we're getting toward getting toward the end of our, our time together. So I wanted Mm -hmm. to, um, go back to a part of our typical podcast that we skipped earlier, but I know you totally did. I know we did. I know you didn't skip it in real time (laughs) and neither did I. No, no. And so we were discussing that, you know, we were going to cover all the segments (laughs) just maybe in a different order this time. So I wanted to ask you, Michelle, what is in your cup? Yes. Oh, Island, my cup <laughs> has a melted margarita nice. uh, because it's Cinco de Mayo today, the day we're doing this. And it is made with Trader Joe's margarita mix, triple sec, and Cazadores tequila, my favorite tequila. There's a lot of it left because I did not want to drink it all before we talked <laughs> because I wanted to be able to have a coherent conversation. Um, and instead of the normal lime to do the rim, I had to use a lemon because I, I just did my best on this mm-hmm. one. It's still good. Yeah. Uh, what is in your cup? So I am, uh, I'm back to an old favorite brewery that I have discussed ad nauseum on this podcast, mm-hmm. which is Nuclearis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Nuclearis is from Wisconsin. And as I've mentioned probably a trillion times before it's a brewery owned by women which oh, is yes. not particularly common um and this one because i too wanted to have a beverage with you but not become so sloshy <laughs> that i you know started waxing poetic about stuff that had nothing to do with our conversation um i am having a fairly low gravity beer they make a lambic and because it's from wisconsin of course it has to be sweetened with a fruit that is from Wisconsin. So they chose cranberries. So Ooh. they make a cranbic. A cranbic. Cranbic. Oof, yes. boy. That's adorable. I love those combo words. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, um, it's uh, what I really like about it is that um, I actually genuinely enjoy cranberry things. Um, mm-hmm. I have tried eating plain cranberries. I would not advise that. I don't think that that mm-hmm. is delicious. Um, but cranberries in things I really love. I love that tartness. And like, again, we're talking about sort of like things that change with you as you get older. And as I get older, mm-hmm. I like things that taste bitter and sour and tart. And those are all flavors mm-hmm. that I really did not love when I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just that I'm getting to the point where things that are super sugary taste cloying to me. I think that's part of it. Um, yeah. But I also think that uh, at least where we, where I live in the Midwest, it's becoming much more common to find like diversified flavors of things. 
and I'm just mm. really into it. Um, I think when we were growing up, um, if you wanted to have food that tasted different from what you had at home, you had to like work to go find it. Like you had to go mm. find a restaurant that specialized in Chinese cooking or Indian cooking. Like you weren't going to be able to go to the grocery store and buy a pre-made package of sag paneer or something like that. Like that just wasn't a thing. And now mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. Now you can actually like very easily go try some stuff you've never heard of before. Um, and I think it sort of broadened uh, the flavor palettes that I like, which I'm into. Yeah. And I was curious, you were saying that um, the tequila that you have in your margarita is your favorite tequila. Yes. So I am not a person who is um, well-versed in tequila. So I'm curious what it is that makes it your favorite. Oh, that's a good question. It tastes good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Um, uh, it's, yeah, it's called Cazadores. It has a deer on the cover. I love tequila, mm. um, but I love the Blanco, the, the stuff that hasn't really been aged. A lot of people are really into um, the Anejo and Reposado, I think they're mm -hmm. called like the aged tequilas. Yeah. Um, and then people are really into mezcal these days. They love that stuff. I am um, starting to like it. It's taking some work. Ugh, I had to make I, a commitment. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's smoky tasting. And if I want something mm -hmm. smoky, I would like to eat a piece of meat, not yes. drink it. It's not a refreshing. I want a refreshing drink. Um, I think it's that when I went to Mexico, maybe at before I had children five or six years ago, we just sampled a lot of tequila. And this is, this is one that I like. It's really, it's clean. It tastes bright in a drink and, um, yeah, it's, it's delicious. Well, I think like you said, that's, that's one of the things that's a little, it's been difficult for me about tequila is that because so many people have the, the añejos and reposados that do have a lot of other flavors to them. They almost taste to me like they have flavors that you would get out of like a whiskey barrel or something. Like it's, mm -hmm. it doesn't, for me, it doesn't go with the flavors that I typically want, um, in a margarita or mm -hmm. it just, yeah, it doesn't taste quite right to me. Um, the mezcal thing, I know I can tell you the exact moment <gasps> that I decided mezcal was all right by me. Um, <laughs> So I too am a person who I, I eat smoky cheeses and smoky meats. I do not want like a smoky beer, like the Roush beers and stuff. I'm just like, blah, blah, blah. it's like I'm Ugh. drinking a campfire and having grown up around a lot of yeah. campfires. Like I know what it tastes like when your stuff has been next to the campfire too long. It's not yeah. a, it's not a positive. Um, mm -mm. But I was in um, Puerto Rico for a family wedding uh, a year and a half ago and, um, no, it was a year ago. Anyway, we were there and, um, we were at this bar and, um, I'd had one drink and I was really tired and I wanted to go home, but nobody else wanted to go home. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to be the stinker that just like marches off home by myself. So I will get a drink that I think I won't like very much. And then I'll drink <laughs> it very slowly uh -huh. and that'll be perfect. So on the menu at this bar, um, they had a drink with, um, mezcal and clove syrup and pineapple and some other things. And it was, it sounded really oh. lovely all except for the mezcal part. And mm -hmm. I, so I ordered that and 
when it arrived and I took a sip, I realized, oh, number one, they used a mezcal that was um, not heavily smoky. The smoke mm. was there, but it wasn't like, it wasn't overpowering. Mm-hmm. And the fruit flavor that was in it was pineapple. Well, I love grilled pineapple. So yeah, that those makes sense. two flavors together made sense in my brain. Mm-hmm. And I, and I remember looking at Pat and I was like, I've made a terrible mistake because I love this drink <laughs> and I'm definitely going to want to have another one of these. And the whole point was, was not to love what I was having. And so now every time that I've gone to a restaurant where they have, um, a mezcal beverage that has like a, a fruit that I would eat grilled, I like yeah. it. So like pineapple, like pe- mango, peach, peach. Yeah. I've tried a, a, a drink that had um, strawberry in it, and it did not work for me. I did not mm-hmm. care for it. And it's not because I don't love strawberries. I think they're delicious. It's just those things together did not – they were not cutting it. But, yeah, so so I would I do not drink mezcal by itself. Like, I'm not one of those people who, like, sits there and, like, has a, a glass of mezcal and talks about the flavor notes. Like, I don't know shit about that. But mm-hmm. when it's – when it's mixed in certain ways in certain drinks, it imparts something to it that nothing else does. I can see that. I will try it. Yeah. I I'm, will. I'll, I'll let you know when I try it. I am sure that you will find some place in Portland that will I, do it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, I can probably find some place within a few blocks. It's nuts here. Yeah. <laughs> the food scene is nuts. Which is also really exciting. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, and then the, the final segment that I'm super excited to hear what you have to say about this one. But I can go first if you want me to oh, go no, first. Oh, no, that's fine. I can go first. Okay. So what are you giving a gold star this week? Gold star. I am giving two. Um, may I give out two gold stars? Absolutely. Okay. You're the first guest. You can do whatever you want. <gasps> Woohoo! Okay. Gold stars for everything. Gold stars all around. Um, two things. The book I mentioned earlier is Bel Canto by Ann Patchett. It's a novel. It is brilliant. Um, it's I've been reading it for a really, really, really long time. I think it, it's, I read it on my Kindle, so I don't know how long it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a couple months in at this point. Um, and it's about, gosh, kind of all the things we're talking about, inspiration, music, people, personalities. It's beautiful. El Canto. And, um, oh, I read it because... I read Elizabeth Gilbert's book, uh, Big Magic, which is all about sort of creative inspiration and moving past fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- those two kind of sit together inside of one gold star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I, the other thing that is my Bible in the spring is a book called Cut Flower Garden. Um, it's by Florit Farms. Uh, the people who wrote it are Aaron Benzakian and Julie Chai. And it's a book all about, uh, it's all about um, growing flowers just to cut them, to make oh, arrangements. Which is a thing that would like hurt my mom so deep in her core, right? Like all these, yeah. people, they have these amazing gardens to leave them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do people. And I, and I always thought like, Oh, I, I like, I never was really interested in flower gardening because I don't want to look at a bunch of flowers in my yard, but I like, I am the kind of person who will go into the new seasons. That's our grocery store here and spend $30 on a flower arrangement so I can have fresh flowers in my house. So beautiful. 
because they're beautiful. I love flowers, but when I can grow them myself, um, and plant them to cut them, it is even better because you can get varieties of flowers that you can't get at the grocery store. Um, and I can plant what I like and I can mix it with foliage that's already growing in my yard. Um, but what I love about this book is she goes through each season, um, spring, summer, and fall and winter and talks about what to, what to plant, what to prepare, uh, and then goes through each flower species. So there's a section, a couple, like two pages on daffodils, two pages on peonies, two pages on roses, um, all different kinds of flowers. It's beautifully illustrated and it gives instructions for growing and planting and also cutting and preserving and arranging them so that they, That's amazingly so that they look beautiful in your house. It is. And it's gorgeous. It's so well done. And I, like I read it and my two-year-old daughter reads it with me and I have learned so much. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's really awesome so, to think that there's something that like you really enjoy that you can share with your daughter. And then at some point she can go enjoy it in her own way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Being outside in the garden with the kids summer is just, it's so nice because we go outside, they play in the yard and I can, pull weeds or plant things or cut things. Um, well, it's so nice. It's so nice. It rains the rest of the year here. <laughs> so it's so nice to get out and be outside and then we're all happy and we're all doing something that we like. Yeah. And our own thing. So cool. those are my gold stars. What I like them. are you giving a gold star this week? So I am giving a gold star to something that um, was actually introduced to me by my husband. We, as, um, as you know, and as listeners, people who've listened to the podcast before will know, um, I moved to, um, Iowa city, um, seven months ago or so. And so we have a house and it is very different from our old house. And, mm -hmm. um, in our old house, we didn't, it was quite small and we didn't have a lot of places that we could hang art, um, just due to lack of wall space, but also, the way the house was constructed. And now we live in a house that is was built in the 80s. So our old house was a 40s house. Mm. So it had like mm -hmm. a gable, the rooms all had gable roofs. So like they had no wall in on which you could hang something and all of that. But here, this is an 80s house. So everything's very square and very flat and it's a perfect canvas for hanging stuff. Mm. Um, and so of course, then I got paralyzed by the indecision of what do I buy to to put up on these walls? What is yeah. me and whatever, <laughs> which is yet another, another version of creativity of um, feeling like somehow I have to like pick the right thing as if hanging art on your walls is so permanent that you can't change your mind. Yeah. <laughs> but setting all of that aside, um, my husband found something that is so cool and it's called... Um, visions of the future. So this is a set of posters that were made by NASA's jet propulsion laboratory. And the posters are intended to be, they, they are inspired by the old, um, national park service posters of oh, like the fifties. Cool. So, um, what they did was they actually worked with artists to design posters as if the planets in our solar system and the exoplanets that they had found that might be capable of sustaining life were places that you would go on a vacation. Mm. And what would you see and what would you be excited about on that particular planet? And so they have one for 
Earth, which is funny, your oasis in space because it's got water. Um, <laughs> and then the, there's one for um, Jupiter. So because it's a gas planet, they had put um, hot air balloons on it and then a sort of version of the aurora behind it. Um, and then they have one that's a planet. Um, it's an exoplanet that has a very complicated name. Um, but the idea is that because it doesn't orbit around a star, it doesn't have sunlight and therefore it's the nightlife planet where you would go to like have a, a fun <laughs> night out. Anyway, so um, I'll post a link on the website, but these posters from NASA are completely free to download. You can oh, cool. download them and print them at whatever size you want to. Um, and so what we decided to do for our house was we picked out the ones where we kind of like the color stories the best. I personally think all of them are great. Um, but obviously when you're putting something on a wall, you want it to look like it belongs together. Um, mm -hmm. so there are a number of people on Etsy and society six who will print these posters at various sizes and very various quality levels for you. So we picked out three, had them printed professionally and had them framed. So they're going to be in our living room now, which I'm super excited about. Yeah. Um, but I thought I would share it with everybody else because if, you know, all the money you have is to like go to Kinko's and print out an eight and a half by 11 in color, you can still have really cool art for your walls <laughs> that, you know, NASA intended to be free. And it's just, it's super cool. I thought that was great. And that's it, great. It hits on like my my exceedingly nerdy core like it just you're talking about like the <laughs> things that make you feel excited I am not a person who ever wanted to study astronomy I don't really get that into astrophysics um, as a practice I it bores me to tears to read an astrophysics paper but thinking about it is really yeah. exciting and mm -hmm. seeing somebody translate that into a visual um, story that's meant to get you excited about it. Like totally works for me. I get, I got excited. So, so that's my gold star is NASA and the jet propulsion laboratory. I was super bummed the last time I was in, where the heck was I? I must've been in California. So I think that's where the jet propulsion laboratory is. And I got really excited about visiting, but apparently if you want to visit pro tip plan it in advance, because everybody wants to go to the jet propulsion lab and <laughs> you have to get your free tickets in advance which I did not know. Mm. So anyway, hmm. so that's my noted. Question. Yeah. Duly noted <laughs> for the next time I ended up in the same <laughs> down at the Jet Propulsion Labs. Uh, well, it was so delightful to talk to you and thank you so much for sharing this very, um, this very introspective journey that you went on. Ooh, thank you so much for having me. And I wanted to commend you too for, um, just jumping into your own podcast. Like you just did it. You just jumped right in. You didn't yeah. like need to go to a sound studio or, you know, go get a degree in radio broadcasting or any, you don't need to do any of that stuff. You can just do it. You can just jump in and do it. And so I, I commend you and your sister for doing that. Well, thank so you. Good for you. It and is, It is definitely yeah. a thing that, um, I think if I hadn't, um, listen to some of the other podcasts that I've, I've mentioned on the, on our podcast before. And if those people, I mean, most of the podcasts that I listen to are, are, um, by women in various creative endeavors. And I think that if, if they had not been honest and upfront about their process, which was very much like that, just like dive in, get your hands dirty, 
figure out what you're doing well and what you need to work on, I probably would have thought that I needed to do something extra in order to get myself ready somehow. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I never would have been ready enough. There never would have been a, that never would have been a time. I would have always had an excuse for like how I didn't know this thing exactly well enough or that thing exactly well enough. And so, you know, I commend all of the, all of the women who came before who were just very honest and open about their process. And then I, you know, it allowed me to feel a little freer to try it myself. And I would encourage anybody else to do the same because again, you know, we're talking about, um, the freedom to do bad art, the freedom to to make a bad podcast. It's really nice. (laughs) It's really, really nice. And I think it's allowed me to be freer in the rest of my life too, that I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't feel so compelled to be perfect. And then I don't end up being so hard on myself and I don't end up being so hard on other people. Yep. You know, we're all doing the best we can with what we've got all the time. And, you know, putting stuff out there that's imperfect is a a very good way to like bring that home to yourself. I agree. Yeah. People love it too. People love imperfect stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's true because it's real. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yes. Thank you too. Talking with you. You too. Thank you. I absolutely loved how beautiful this whole interview was. And I don't even want to say just beautiful because it's so beautiful, but I really, I love Michelle's energy and I love how this became a spiritual practice for her and it has led her to courageous moments in the future. And I think so many people underestimate a daily creative practice. I mean, Lord knows, we've talked about this in earlier podcasts, our mom has always told us to draw every day, to write every day, to do something creative every day. And she's not lying because look what you can actually achieve and do. I think this was a really great reminder. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, one of the things that I really enjoy thinking about is how that process will be different for different people. And they're going to get to that place, whatever that place is in a different way that that final, um, there is no final manifestation of it, right? It's, It's a process that takes you through different stages of your life that takes you through different interests. Um, and I, I really liked it and I really liked talking to her. So obviously I loved it. It oh, worked it well. Good. <laughs> so, um, just by way of wrapping up, we do want to thank you guys so much for listening. Um, and we also want to tell you uh, a little bit about where you can find more about, find out more about Michelle. So she is on Instagram and her Instagram handle is Michelle. T-F-J, so that is M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-T-F-J, and her website is creativity-practice.com, and there you can find more information about her and kind of get a visual of the creativity practice that she talked about. Um, Yeah. Awesome. And I really hope that everyone... uh, can, uh, sorry, please edit this as, as you will. I would love to hear about more suggestions for really great, uh, people to interview people that you know, that would get along and really bring some extra oomph to this podcast. Cause it's not just a, a two sister show. Um, but we absolutely love it. I hope that we can bring more interviews to you guys in the future. And we would really love to hear about your creativity practices. So feel free to comment on our website 
uh, stitchcraftsisters.com or you can post on our Instagram feed. We'll invite you, we'll have a prompt for that um, in the Instagram post for this episode to kind of remind you guys, but it would be fascinating to hear how other people think about this. Awesome. So um, thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Chris, oh, this has been such a recording nightmare. <laughs>